sentence or two uh, church history lesson. The Presbyterian Church uh, was founded in Scotland. John Knox uh, was is recognized typically as the uh, father of Presbyterianism. Therefore, we have typically in Presbyterian churches a lot of uh, names that are very typically Scottish. Um, McLaughlin, McFedrin, Sams, Baird, and we could go on and on. So I asked this question, have you ever heard the term Scottish Revival? A Scottish Revival is, takes place where people hear the preacher speak of sin, they get tired of hearing about sin, so they stop coming to church, and then the church shrinks in size. And so that's a Scottish Revival. Uh, not real encouraging. You'd think that John the Baptist was preaching a Scottish revival. The content of his sermons, uh, we saw last week in verses 7 through 9. John says, even now uh, the axe is laid. I'm sorry, verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones even to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, I would imagine that it would have been quite tempting for John to take a measure um, of satisfaction at the reception he was hearing, even though he was preaching like that. Because his kind of preaching is the kind of preaching that is going to create a Scottish revival every time. Every time except this time. Uh, the more severe and harsh that John the Baptist preached, the more it seems that the people were drawn to him. Verse 15, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. The more harsh he is in preaching, Who warned you? To flee from the coming wrath, you brood of vipers, you snakes. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. You're going to be thrown down into the unquenchable fire. The more he preached like that, the more it seemed that the people were drawn to him. And so, um, the temptation then to uh, find some self-satisfaction... My preaching's being effective. People are responding to my preaching. But he resisted that temptation. In fact, he realized that their response was not real faith and repentance. He recognized that the people so badly wanted a Messiah that would deliver them from Roman rule. So they weren't really listening to the content of his preaching. John was preaching about the Messiah, about the Messiah that was going to come after him. But the people 
or questioning in their hearts concerning whether John might be the Christ. In other words, they weren't listening to his preaching. Uh, There was a lot of excitement with the baptisms. Um, a, a, A preacher told me one time, he said, it doesn't matter what you say, it only matters how you say it. Well, um, in, in John the Baptist's case, this is, this is probably true. He's saying a lot of things very forcefully. And the people were uh, swooning in their hearts thinking that he was the Christ. So then John gives them a three-part answer in verses 16 and 17. And in his answer, he's pointing away from himself and he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, J.C. Ryle, um, preacher in the, the 18th century or 19th century, rightly observed, he said, "A faithful preacher will never allow anything to be credited to him or his office, which belongs to his divine master. To commend Christ dying and rising again for the ungodly, to make Christ." love and power to save sinners, this will be the main object of his ministry. He will be content that his own name be forgotten so long as Christ crucified is exalted. You know, people you uh, from time to time will have a life verse. Maybe you have a life verse. Maybe you've heard of somebody else that has a life verse that uh, summarizes the calling that God has placed on their life. I have such a life verse. Uh, My favorite verse in the Bible, John 15, verse 5, without me you can do nothing. Uh, That's my favorite verse, but a life verse uh, for me, or the life verse for me, is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says, For I have decided to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I think that verse is appropriate for any minister of the gospel. Sadly, our denomination, um, although with about half a million members, uh, our denomination has been a leader in the evangelical Christian world over the past 40 years. Our stand for the Reformed gospel and uh, the authority of Scripture has been indispensable to the larger Christian world. Other denominations have become more Reformed in their understanding of the gospel because of the witness of the PCA. Uh, Other denominations have uh, been emboldened to stand uh, firm in the authority of the Scriptures because of our stand in the authority of the Scriptures. But sadly... Our denomination is facing a crisis because many ministers have taken their focus off the centrality of Jesus Christ. In an effort to be more appealing to the unbelieving world, many ministers and even congregations have become focused more on race relations or social justice than the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I've been alive long enough to see uh, different things come and different things go. Twenty years ago, uh, it, the, the bright, shiny object that was, um, that was gaining everybody's attention was church growth. You know, what, what are the strategies for growing a bigger church? And we've moved on from that, and now we're uh, 20 years on, 
uh, is social justice. In another 20 years, it will be something else. Our gaze must be fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Not just ministers, but all of you in the pews as well. When Christ is your true and your highest desire, your life will thrive because the cheap imitations will be seen for what they really are. Just bright, shiny, harmful distractions. I'm afraid that many of you, especially among our young people, are getting carried away with the the world's bright, shiny objects. And I want to exhort you, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beg Him to purge the dross from your worldview. Seek Christ-centeredness. Purify your souls from the stuff that will distract you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just give Christ the first place among many priorities. Make Him your priority. Now back to the text. John's answer to the crowd was first, Jesus is superior to me. Secondly, Jesus' baptism is superior to my baptism. And then third, Jesus' authority and power is superior to mine. You know, People wanted to talk about how great John was. But John responded by declaring that Jesus was far superior to him. This is what he's saying when he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Here's what's happening. In those days, if you were poor, but you wanted an education, if you were poor and you were, you were a bright uh, soul, you could act as an indentured servant for your teacher. And so you'd follow your teacher around. You'd do all these menial tasks. You'd cook for him. You'd clean for him. You'd do basically anything that the, the teacher wanted uh, as payment for the education you were going to receive. And um, so you'd basically do everything you know the teacher asked. There was one thing, however that a teacher was not allowed to ask his students, and that is to unlace his sandals. According to one ancient rabbi, uh, he, he said, Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of his sandal thong. That would be going too far. Unlacing someone's sandals in that culture was so degrading that a student could not be compelled to do it. And so here's John the Baptist. He's saying, I am not even worthy to do this. It's not that he's saying it's below him because it's demeaning. John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Christ was so far superior to him, he was unworthy to unlace his shoes. In other words, John was saying he was not just the lowest of the low. He was saying, I'm even lower than the lowest of the low. 
What's, what's the saying that I grew up with? You're so low you could walk underneath a pregnant ant. Well, that's pretty low, right? The, pe- the people wondered whether John might be the Christ. But John told him that he did not even deserve to be a slave. And this becomes really staggering when we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ did what on the night before he was crucified? He unlaced their sandals and he washed their feet. No human being is even worthy of being Christ's servant. But he became our servant. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, God Almighty who came in the flesh, came to earth. Why? To serve us. To serve us sinful human beings. And then to give his life as a ransom for ours. You're not worthy of such love. I am not worthy of such love. No human being has ever been worthy of such love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That is love. That is love unmatched. None of us could ever be worthy of such a love. One little note about the the social justice. I've noticed just from listening in the culture that... uh, People who are social justice warriors, there seems to be an, an, an air of pride. Well, I'm better than you because I'm socially just. We are all unworthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is superior to John the Baptist, then it stands to reason that his baptism uh, Jesus' baptism is superior to John's baptism. Again, verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize with water, or I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I only baptize you with water, the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His baptism was an outward sign of an inward cleansing. It was a baptism for repentance. But when Christ came, He's saying He would baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist, what could he do? All he could do is call people to repentance. All he could do was baptize them with water. But that's all he could do. He could not change them. He could not cleanse their soul. Baptism with water is simply an outward sign or a picture of the promise of the inward reality that the Holy Spirit and fire will be at work in the soul. The Holy Spirit will apply the work of Christ to us. Everything we need to be saved, our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. 
The Holy Spirit gives us every benefit of our salvation. Regeneration, He gives us. Adoption into God's family, He gives us. The spiritual fruits, He gives us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, uh, self-control. I may have left one out. Um, Eternal life, He gives us these things. Every Christian has these benefits because it is the Holy Spirit's work to give these things to us. Every believer has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? If you have, then you've been changed. If you have, then you're bearing spiritual fruit. If you have, you are practicing repentance. If you have, you are a child of God. If you have, you have eternal life. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized with a real baptism? By the same token, then, every believer has been baptized with fire. I think this may be another way of talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, how did He appear? As tongues of fire resting on the people's heads. The Holy Spirit applies to us the atonement and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, metaphorically speaking, our soul has been cleansed and purged by fire. All our guilt and our condemnation are removed like the impurities when gold is purified through the fire. John couldn't do any of that. All he could do is baptize them with water. All he could do was preach vigorously repentance um, from sin, uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But he couldn't give anybody repentance. He couldn't make anybody change. I can preach all day till I'm blue in the face. I can't change one soul. But that's God's work. So I would urge you, when I stand up to preach Sunday by Sunday, do me and do yourself a favor. Beg God to change you as you sit underneath the preaching of the Word. Don't wait for me to say something profound and life-changing because I am powerless to bring any change into your life. That is God's work. Sit submissively under His Word and ask Him to work in you by His Spirit. So John's... Uh, Jesus' baptism was superior to uh, John's baptism. And then thirdly, Jesus' authority and power is superior to John's uh, authority and power. Uh, Jesus, um, I'm sorry, John the Baptist, he could preach with authority, and he could preach with authority about judgment. Again, verse 9, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He could preach about this kind of judgment, but he couldn't swing the axe. That's God's work. That's Jesus' work. Jesus has the authority and the power to bring about true judgment. Look at verse 17. Talking about Jesus, John says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The imagery here 
of the wheat and the chaff is taken from Psalm chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. The psalmist says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Basically what's happening here is that... um, we on? Is this on? Somehow we've lost. Uh, I'll speak. I'll preach loudly. Charles Spurgeon preached to uh, to thousands without any amplification. And Charles Spurgeon is my hero. If you can't hear me, then. Uh, I'm not much like Charles Spurgeon as I fancy myself to be. <laughs> so anyway, what's happening here is after the wheat har- or during the wheat harvest, they would bring the wheat into the barn, to the threshing floor, and the farmer would gather the wheat. I don't need to stand behind the microphone then if I'm not mic- uh, amplified. So anyway, what he would do, they would bring all the wheat in, and then the the farmer would take his his winnowing fork, which is basically like our pitchfork, and he would take the the grain and he would and with his pitchfork he'd scoop it and toss it into the air. And when he would toss it into the air, the chaff would separate from the grains. Grains would fall to the floor, and so that's the the imagery here. In uh, verse 17, when he says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The chaff, after it's blown away, it would be blown over into a corner or wherever, away from the grain, swept up, it would be taken and it would all be thrown into the fire. And John the Baptist said Jesus Christ will do the same thing with the human race. Metaphorically speaking, every one of us is going to be tossed in the air. Us who are true believers will fall to the ground at Jesus' feet. Those unbelievers, those who are fake believers, Chaff will be like the chaff that is blown away. You won't, according to Psalm 1, be able to stand in the judgment. Jesus will sift all humanity. He's going to make a final separation between believers and unbelievers. The wheat will be gathered into the storehouse of heaven, while the chaff will be burned with fire. Notice that the fire will be It says in verse 17, unquenchable. Matthew chapter 25 gives us a picture of the final judgment. In Matthew 25, Jesus has already sifted all humanity. The righteous, the believers, are on his right. The unbelievers are gathered together on his left. In Matthew 25 verse 41, we read these terrifying words. Then Jesus will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared.
of the devil and his angels. Believers and unbelievers are now mingled in every congregation. You may be sitting beside someone who does not belong to Jesus Christ. You may be one who does not belong to Jesus Christ. When we're sitting here in our Sunday best, you know, with our Sunday best clothes and our Sunday best behavior, we're all going through the motions and it's hard to tell which is which. Who is chaff? Who is the grain? But Jesus sees the heart. When he sifts the wheat on the day of judgment, no chaff will slip in among the grain. There is a certain and complete judgment coming. So the question is, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit and find Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Have you been marked in Him? Have you been changed in Him? Do you belong to Him? The Lord Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, baptized the church with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when he did that, Peter started preaching. They didn't have a Scottish revival. Peter preached on sin. Peter told the Jews, you killed the Christ. And the people said, what must we do to be saved? When the Holy Spirit comes and grabs a person, when the Holy Spirit uses God's Word and baptizes that person, their life is changed. Has your life been changed by the Holy Spirit? Is your life conforming more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you bearing spiritual fruit? Or are you not? There's going to be a judgment. Look to the Lord Jesus. Don't make Him just one priority among many. Make Him your priority. As we pray together. Lord Jesus. We who belong to You look forward to the sifting. We look forward to the day when we will no longer struggle with our sin. When we will no longer live in a world that is filled with evil and corruption. Where we will no longer have to deal with our own flesh that uh, besets us day in and day out. Lord, because we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because we have been baptized uh, with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Our soul has been cleansed. It has been purified. We are new creations in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it breaks our heart when we sin. God, help us to be holy. Purify us more and more. Help us to live with every day belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live without 
without the regret of the ongoing sin that we so easily give ourselves um, to and uh, the sin that so easily entangles. Lord, help us to be holy by the power of your Spirit. Lord, it also grieves us that there are those we love who are indifferent to the things of God, who it would seem are not baptized with the Holy Spirit, who have not been changed, who have not been regenerated, who are not bearing spiritual fruit, who are not connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I ask that Your powerful Spirit would be at work in them now, using Your Word as I call them to repentance and faith in Jesus. We ask these things in His name. Amen.